Black Canary. I'll need a sparring partner. I'm Zatanna. Why do you care about some leggy dame in nylons? Or have I answered my own question? Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for magic. Welcome back to Power of Fishnets, the Black Canary and Zatanna podcast. I'm Ryan Daly, and if you've been following along this podcast, you have heard me recap every one of Zatanna's appearances in the 1960s and early 1970s. This was Zatanna's Silver Age, the classic era where she dressed in a tuxedo top, complete with a top hat, as well as a pair of scintillating fishnet stockings on her shapely legs. But that era came to a close with my coverage last episode. So, what is left to cover? Well, a lot, truthfully. There are tons of more recent Zatanna appearances where her outfit features the fishnet pattern, and there is certainly no shortage of Black Canary stories I could review. But I'm not doing that this time. Instead, I'm doing a sort of epilogue to the previous era by reviewing Justice League of America issue 161. This issue sees Zatanna, finally, after more than a decade, join the Justice League, and it also sees her first of numerous costume changes. Even though it's an obvious deviation from the central premise of this podcast, I always knew I was going to cover this issue, because I had so many friends telling me they loved this story. So, I invited a few of them on to talk about it with me. Right now, I'm going to take a short promo break. When I return, Chris Franklin and Dr. Ange will join me to talk JLA-161. Don't go away. Welcome to the world of tomorrow! (laughs) The Legion of Superheroes through the Silver Age, the Bronze Age, the Baxter series, five years later, the reboot, the three-boot, the retro-boot, the animated series, We have banded together as the Legion of Super Bloggers to cover it all. Seek us out at legionofsuperbloggers.blogspot.com. Why do you always have to say it that way? Haven't you ever heard of a little thing called showmanship? We're back, and as promised, I am joined by two of my favorite people in the fire and water community. First up, my co-host on Batman Nightcast, and the first guest I ever had on a Fishnets-related podcast, back when we discussed another crazy-ass Justice League story, Chris Franklin. What's up, Chris? Hey, Ryan. Uh, Just the usual. How are you doing? (laughs) Good. And returning to Power of Fishnets for the third episode in a row, probably deserves an award for that, like a free sub or something, it's Dr. Ange. What's up, Doc? Not much. I'm so excited to be here. This issue is one of uh, formative issues in my youth. I remember things very uh, accurately about this. So I think I asked to do this issue with you when you first added Zatanna to the show. I Yeah, that was actually going to be my, part of my segue. I, I think you have been campaigning to be on this episode, <laughs> if not since I was born, then definitely since I first started talking about Zatanna. So why is that? What is so special about this issue for you? 
you know, I can remember this issue very dramatically from my youth. So I can say that uh, I spent a lot of time at my grandparents' house. They had an old-fashioned five-and-dime down the road, and we often would just walk there, like, let's walk to the five-and-dime and see if there's something for you. Would always buy comics. And this particular issue was in one of those Whitman three-packs. Mm-hmm. So my copy of this back in the day, um, which subsequently has been lost, and then this book we bought, had the Whitman in, in the corner. First time I ever met Zatanna. So there are plot points in this that were true revelations for me at the end because I learned about her. Um, first interaction with the Warlock of Yis, which uh, basically cemented this guy as one of my favorite villains because <laughs> I, I love this book, which is like, you know, I can remember that I had an interaction with Sterling Gates once on Twitter. I was like, I love the Warlock of Yis. He's like, you are his only fan. <laughs> Um, and, uh, and as a result, you know, this is my look for Zatanna. This was my JLA, the Dick Dillon era. I used to buy these issues all the time. And, and so there's a lot of uh, stuff about this that really has stuck with me even up to now. You know, my copy of this issue is a Whitman sampler issue. (laughs) And I wonder if I got the copy that you, (laughs) you don't have anymore. (laughs) Yeah, could be. Could be. My parents just put all of those old stuff all, uh, in a box and gave it away, sadly. I got mine in like a, like a, a pawn shop in New Hampshire, so maybe. It could have traveled like a, two hours from Boston north. But, yeah. uh, Chris, what about you? What does this issue mean to you? Why did you want to be on this one? Well, this is probably the second issue of JLA that I had bought for me, and I say I had it bought for me because I was three when this came out. Um, (laughs) So um, the first issue was issue number 155, so around the same era. And uh, I'm not sure I had comics from the Whitman three-packs. The one I currently have is a Whitman version. I don't think this is my original. I'm pretty sure my original, if I could find it, is like, you know, half the comics missing because, you know, I was three again, you know. So, but yeah, this was one of my very first Justice League issues and it did make an impact on me. And and I am probably fan number two for the Warlock of Yes. Uh, <laughs> and, I, and I had a theory about this guy for a long time, which we'll get into. Um, as we discuss this issue, but uh, so so yeah, we can form our own warlock. Of, let's do a podcast, man. The warlock. Of <laughs> I think I've already covered all of his appearances so far. I was like, I've, I've I've talked about him probably more than anybody on a podcast, and I don't even like him that much. <laughs> all right, uh, well, let's get into this Justice League of America issue one hundred sixty one, cover dated December nineteen seventy eight. According to Mike's Amazing World, it hit the shelves on September 14th and cost a whole 40 cents. Rich Buckler drew the cover, and as I mentioned to you guys before we started, holy crap, there are a lot of words on this cover. Uh, For anybody who can't see it, and of course I will post it on the website, but just in case, up at the top, above the title, the masthead, the book that gives you more all-out action starring the world's greatest superheroes... And then the image is a woman that we will find out is in, is Zatanna, but she's wearing a costume we've never seen before. She is blasting with like a, a fire or a bolt of energy from her fingertip a bowl on the Justice League table, which has all of the her name written everywhere. This is essentially they they're voting, they're casting their votes for her. Zatanna says, "Me join your miserable league? Never!" Behind her, Green Lantern says, "Let her go. Who needs her?" Batman says, why? What motive could she have? Wonder Woman says, Zatanna, you've always been our friend. 
Superman says, but no one turns down the Justice League. Green Arrow says, after we all voted to admit her, what an ingrate. The Atom says, watch it, lady, that blast nearly fried me. And Black Canary says, if I'd known she'd act like this, I wouldn't have proposed her for membership. Gentlemen, what do we think of this cover? <laughs> I'll let Ange go first. It's more important to him. <laughs> yeah, perfect. So I'll say uh, two things really stick out for me. One, um, the Green Lantern line here is a little bit of a hint towards what's going to happen on the inside, which mm-hmm. you don't realize until you sort of read the inside story. So I thought that was interesting. But the thing that has always struck me about this is, boy, Superman is really upset about this. <laughs> he really, his face is just one of like emotional anguish. He's got like action lines, like he's shuddering, like no one turns down the Justice League. Um, so uh, I always just look at that and said boy he's like a little too emotional about this whole thing uh but as you say there was just a ton of word balloons just sort of circling this whole image i think if you just had zatanna's and gl's word balloons it would have worked just as well and maybe even better because you would have got the dialogue you needed everybody's facial reactions and their body language says what their dialogue says anyway Except Green Lantern, who's got this really bemused look on his face. And as Ange said, it's, you know, it's it's pointing to what's in the story. So, you know, just just take this cover and Photoshop out all the word balloons and see how you like if you like it any better. And I think you probably will because <laughs> it's a nice image. You know, it's it's Rich Buckler. Rich Buckler never did a bad comic book cover. Yeah, I had to remember when Superman says, but no one turns on the Justice League. I was like. Uh, black, uh, black, black lightning came after this. Okay. <laughs> Metamorpho. Metamorpho <laughs> said no. Yeah, yep. <laughs> so, well, there's a precedent, but yeah, I agree. I was trying to think. I was like, you could probably cut all but two or three of these balloons and kind of get the point. And it, I mean, I, I think technically you could probably cut out all of the word balloons, except then you don't get that this is Zatanna who is speaking. Like you kind of need their reaction to let us know who this is. Otherwise, it's it's more confusing. But all right, well then, let us get into the story. The Reverse Spells of Zatanna's Magic Kigam is written by Jerry Conway, penciled by Dick Dillon, inked by Frank McLaughlin, lettered by Ben Oda, and colored by Adrian Roy. Julie Schwartz edited the issue. The story opens with Green Arrow chairing the latest meeting of the Justice League. The subject of the meeting is a vote to induct a new member, Zatanna the Magician. While Ali tallies the votes, the men of the League make up lame excuses for why it took 13 years longer to make Hawkgirl a member of the team than it took for Hawkman. Yeah, good luck at trying to justify that with your charter. Anyway, Zatanna has the votes to join the League, but before they can even summon her to their orbiting satellite headquarters, the Maid of Magic shows up and tells them no. That's not the only shocker, though. Gone are the top hat, tuxedo, and fishnets we've come to know and love. Instead, Zatanna wears a sleeveless black bodysuit with a plunging neckline, a pimp-ass Dracula cape with a high red collar, some ruby medallion around her neck, and her hair is done up in a top-knot ponytail. This is the look that I lovingly refer to as Zatanna, Queen of the Vampires. But she has another name, for she tells the heroes of the League she is no longer Zatanna the Magician, but rather the much more serious and formidable Zatanna the Sorceress. Not only is she dressed different, not only does she refuse to join the League, Zatanna calls the heroes her enemies. 
She points to the ballots they had cast and incinerates them with a spell. Flames destroy, fire claim, let them not write my name. Hawk Girl asks Zatanna to reconsider, because the League really needs more women. The heroes who know her best, those who have worked with her, such as Batman, the Atom, and Elongated Man, ask her to think of her responsibility as a defender of justice. Zatanna tells them the same thing she told her father, Zatara, when he asked her to carry on his legacy of fighting crime with magic. Nah, bruh. She swears she doesn't want to be on the team, and she doesn't need their help, especially not from Green Lantern. She just wants to be left alone, so she casts a spell to teleport away from the satellite. Let the wind roll and the earth heave, the time has come when I must leave. After that, the various members of the League return to their homes or jobs down on Earth, all except for the Atom who is on monitor duty. He can't help but think of Zatanna's odd behavior, and he recalls her previous heroic encounters with the Justice League, specifically the chapters of Zatanna's quest covered in the previous episodes of this podcast. As he is recalling how Green Lantern helped her fight the Warlock of Yeast, and he himself helped her fight a bad guy named the Druid, Ray Palmer comes to a sudden, startling realization. He radios Batman and conveys his suspicion, but after Batman agrees to help investigate, the Atom is unexpectedly attacked by... Green Lantern? It sure looks that way, but the Emerald Guardian isn't acting like Hal Jordan. He goes to the satellite's computer and begins asking questions about the Green Lantern's energy source. This is clearly an imposter disguised as Green Lantern, who doesn't know how the power ring works and that it needs to be recharged. And when he's unable to locate the power battery, the imposter flies down to Earth, hoping to find a new source of power at the ancient city of Angkor Wat in Southeast Asia. Elsewhere, on the coast of Brittany, Zatanna stands before the ruins of the drowned city of Yis, a place she visited long ago in her third appearance. She calls on the blue flames of Yis to transport her through a mystic gate into the enchanted realm of Yis. Immediately, she is ambushed by demons and monsters who were warned of her coming by their master, the dreaded warlock. The last time Zatanna came here, she was young, inexperienced, and didn't know how the land's magic altered her spells. Now, a more seasoned Zatanna effortlessly casts spells that call down storms and lightning on her enemies, and summons the wind to lift her into the sky. She flies over to the warlock's castle, defending herself from attacks of monsters, but one little goat-legged monster sneaks up and fires a bolt from a crossbow. It strikes Zatanna in the shoulder, sending her plummeting down to the ground. Unseen by all but the reader, deep within the Tower of Yeast is the frozen figure of... the Green Lantern? Back on Earth, the Batman pays a call to Zatanna's father, Zatara. The retired magician scoffs at the idea that his daughter would turn her back on the cause of justice. Batman reasons that if Zatanna lied to the League about that detail, she probably lied about everything she said. In fact, her words were probably the exact opposite of how she felt. Okay, interesting deduction there, Batman. Batman puts out an emergency signal to the JLA, but the only heroes who rendezvous at the satellite with him are Green Arrow, Black Canary, and... <sighs> damn it, Red Tornado. 
They find the Atom, who wakes up and tells them Green Lantern attacked him. It doesn't take long for them to figure out it wasn't really Hal, but an imposter who went down to Angor Wat. Batman also clues them into what convinced him that Zatanna was lying, because all the spells she cast at their meeting were rhyming incantations. But anyone who has worked with her in the past knows that Zatanna casts her magic by speaking words backwards. The five heroes go to Angor Wat, which in ancient times was a stronghold for the Realm of Yeast. There they attack the imposter Green Lantern, who is in fact the Warlock, and has gathered enough mystic power from the site that he is able to easily defeat the heroes. Meanwhile, in the fantasy land of Yeast, Zatanna wakes up, bound and gagged, and about to be set on fire by the evil demons. But the cavalry arrives, in some cases literally. See, if you'll recall Zatanna's last adventure to this land, Yis is full of reality-displaced warriors from Earth, brave soldiers from every era who have accidentally come to this land. They used to be in the Warlock's thrall, but Zatanna freed them. Now they've come back to repay her by driving off the demons and setting the sorceress free. Zatanna thanks her rescuers and uses her magic to bring down the tower and liberate the bewitched Hal Jordan. Back in Angor Wat, the Warlock stands over the helpless bodies of Batman, the Atom, Green Arrow, Black Canary, and Red Tornado. He starts monologuing about how Zatanna and Green Lantern defeated him long ago, but even as he was magically frozen, he cast a slow-acting, seriously, a very slow-acting spell that transferred his personality into Green Lanterns. Only took like 12 years to pull that off. Anyway... While he was explaining his villainous plot, Green Arrow and Zatanna returned to Earth. Hal got his ring back, recharged it, and creates a massive energy fist that punches the Warlock's lights out. After that's resolved, everybody returns to the JLA satellite. Zatanna explains that the Warlock scheme is the reason for a long-ago continuity gaffe, when Hal called him the Warlock of Dis. Obviously, he got the name wrong because the Warlock was messing with his mind already. And I am so glad we got an explanation for that. So no, no prize necessary. And with all of that craziness sorted out, the Atom reminds Zatanna that she had enough votes to join the Justice League if she wants to. Finally, a decade too late, methinks, of course Zatanna says yes. The story ends with the 13 current members of the Justice League of America welcoming their 14th member, and the official proclamation... The Justice League of America hereby elects Zatanna. So, let us start off with Dr. Ange. What did you think? Do I like this issue? <laughs> the answer is, of course, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you have been waiting two and a half years to say that. <laughs> so there's a lot that I want to talk about. So the first thing is, this was the first time that I had ever seen Zatanna in a comic book. There's no doubt. And I can tell you that because when Batman says, of course, all of her spells are usually said backwards, that was a huge revelation to me when I first read this as a kid. I didn't realize something was backwards with her by her doing forward speaking rhyming spells. That's how I was used to seeing magic then. So this was like a mind blown moment because, you know, from then on, it was like, oh, you have to read her spells backwards. Um, and that was an important clue. I'm surprised they didn't pick up on that earlier. Um and because this was the first time that I met her, this is like the costume that I think of when I think of Zatanna. I mean, I think it, it for me, it works. It's, it is kind of like a little bit of Vampirella. Um, 
I think that Dick Dillon really does a wonderful job with her. There's kind of like um, a youthful look about her, but not too young. Um, specifically, there's like a picture, a close-up of her face, I think, on page 16, that I think is um, as she's sort of flying in yeast uh, that works very well. And once you learn, for some reason, that everything is backwards, when you go back and reread that uh, initial scene, some of it really plays out well. So, you know, the Adam is like, you were idealistic. And she goes, I was young. And he goes, you had hopes. I had delusions. I'm not like my father, a romantic fool. And then you go, oh, okay. So she is hopeful. And, you know, it is kind of a romantic fool because now everything's backwards. And then, of course, that brings up the pointing to Green Lantern and saying, I don't need your help, specifically you, meaning... Oh, maybe you're the bad guy to begin with. Well, I could go on and on, but I'll let you guys uh, join in. I was going to say, like, if you had been reading Justice League for a long time, I don't think it's such a stretch to say specifically, Hal Jordan, I don't want your help. Don't get involved in this situation. <laughs> I don't think calling him out specifically is not being the one that you want having your back. Maybe that could just be my bias. I love him. But. I, I think that I think the others were probably like, oh, good Lord, Hal loved and leaved her. You know? <laughs> Chris, what did you think of this one? Uh, you know, I, this one's a lot of fun, and rereading it, it made me realize that this is this is probably Jerry Conway at his most Gardner Fox-like, mm-hmm. because this is, like, super plot-dense, and, uh, you know, the, the classic Silver Age Justice League books are so, so plot-heavy, and, I mean, that's, I mean, that's one of their hallmarks, but this is... Uh, this has that feel, but it's got, you know, of course, it's got that the marvelization of, of DC where there's a little more interpersonal, you know, angst and and, and just, just a little bit ruffling of feathers. Like, you know, Green Arrow's being so overly melodramatic about, you know, somebody's life is at stake. You know, this is somebody's life you're we're dealing with when we're, they're voting her in and they're all like, calm down, Ollie. You know, <laughs> just, you know. Instead of Ollie Queen, he should be Drama Queen, you know, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, it's always been a lot of, a lot of fun for me. So I had a, I had a blast rereading it and really thinking about it. But something that I didn't even think about last night when I was like, uh, jotting, jotting down some notes. Boy, it's a, it's a nice coincidence that just the very day they vote Zatanna in, all this, all this just happens to come to a head, you know? So I had never really thought of that before, but it's like, Wait a minute, that has really nothing to do with it. It's just coincidence. <laughs> yeah, there are tons of, yeah, the fact that the little warlock is enacting his his plot on the same day. Uh, and I had this in my notes too, like later when we see the real Green Lantern Hal is trapped in the tower and everything in that reveal, which is really cool. But he's covered in cobwebs, and it looks like he's been there forever. I was, and like my first thought was like, man, has he been there since their first fight with Warlock? For like, has he been there for years? Then I'm like, <laughs> no, it's only been a day because the Warlock didn't know how to recharge the battery <laughs> or didn't know how to recharge the ring. It's like, how do, how fast do these cobwebs work in yeast that they're like covering this guy? Or whatever. It's like, he's only been there for 24 hours. The warlock so, is also a horrible housekeeper. That's all I can think of. <laughs> yeah, my no prize is, you know, when you read his initial appearance in JLA, they they go through this whole thing where he's like, and then he'll slowly be covered in cobwebs. And my thought was that this was really like a slow transference, whether it's like one atom at a time or not. So that basically Hal is transported exactly into the place where the warlock is, and the warlock was covered in cobwebs. And so he's now stuck in that spot. Um, that would work. Whether or not I'm reading too into it, uh, I don't know. <laughs> okay, I could I could justify that. That sounds that sounds right. That works. Okay. 
while we're on the subject of the warlock and, and how can I can I give you my, my my theory that kept this in my head for years? Um, I I use this in my head. It's like, well, this is how they explain away parallax for years. <laughs> I thought, what well, you know, it's like he's been in. If he did this over the long game, why couldn't he have been the reason how it went bad? This, of course, was before Green Lantern Rebirth. But right, right. It, in the back of my mind, I'm like, well, that's their out. You know, and <laughs> nobody ever did anything with it because other than me and Ange, nobody cares. So. <laughs> I was going to say, if Jeff Johns liked this issue as much as you guys did, we never would have got the yellow impurity and the whole basis for for Jeff Johns, like, seven years on that book and everything, or however long he spent writing Green Lantern. Well, I'll jump on the Warlock of You stuff. So the first thing I'll say is that, for me, I could tell that Hal was really pissed because usually his constructs are very smooth appearing, mm-hmm. but that fist he makes yes. is all sorts of gauntleted fists. Right? Oh, yeah. There's like, ed- there's like mm. edges and bands and things like that. So I think Hal is like, you know what? Screw you. <laughs> this isn't going to be like a little slap from some bubble. This is going to be a full-on cesta that I'm going to like smash you with. Oh, yeah. I love um, the look of that thing when he hits him, too. Yeah. And then because this was the first comic that I encountered the Warlock of Use, and because this is like a pretty wild plot, right? Like, hey, I infiltrated the Justice League, I took over Green Lantern, I might take over the world. I thought he was like a bad mamma jamma. I'm like, <laughs> I'm going to see this guy twice a year. He's like on par with Darkseid and Mordrew. This guy <laughs> kicks all sorts of ass. This guy's the bomb. And then, you know, I think I've seen him twice since. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so, but in my head, he's always like, that's my man. He almost beat the Justice League that time. So oh, I think history should have borne you out on that one. <laughs> I, I think, you know, the Justice League in and of itself, you know, I, they could use, they could have used a villain like him to come back more often. You know, I, 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 I think there's a lot of potential in the character. I really do. I mean, all, all joking aside, you know, he's like Ann said, I mean, he, I mean, he, he lays waste to the team when they, of course, the way they attack who they think is Green Lantern Wait a minute, guys. He's supposed to be Green Lantern. Uh, <laughs> do you have something yellow? I don't know. You know, just a thought. <laughs> Tell Robin so he can put his cape over his fist like in that Teen Titans issue and punch him in the head or something. You know, I don't know. <laughs> I, you know, I, I'm sure Batman was thinking about that tactically, but he's probably like, let's rough him up a little bit just to be sure, and then we'll bring out the yellow. It's like, uh, um. Actually, there there was a, something on the cover that I didn't mention because I wanted to kind of go back and, and take a look and see if it was if it was confirmed or denied. According to the cover, it's never mentioned again in the issue. I don't think, but Black Canary is the one who sponsors Zatanna or recommends her for membership. Inside, it really seems like the Adam and, and Ali were sort of like pushing for it, but. Canary's line on the cover, if I'd known she'd act like this, I wouldn't have proposed her for membership. It really sounds like it was Black Canary's idea. Um, so that gives a little bit of... I, I think that's special for this particular podcast. Gives them a little bit of a connection, but there's not really much else that, to kind of support that in the story. Um, so for for the other Justice League members, because this, I mean, we get every Justice League member at the time, except for Martian Manhunter. Sorry, Frank. He's he's like the only guy who was like a, an active regular member of the league for any length of time. I mean, obviously you've got like the sort of metamorpho and the reserve members like Phantom Stranger and Adam Strange and everything who weren't really active members. But everybody else except for the Phantom Stranger, Aquaman for Rob Kelly. Aquaman appears in all of three panels, I think. 
Um, <laughs> yeah. But, okay, thinking about her costume and the new look Zatanna, I, I think we are in the minority in liking this one because I hear so much more people like kind of forget this one or they, they don't like it, they don't think it looks very much like Zatanna. They're, a lot of people are more interested or, or attracted to the George Perez design costume that came after this. And I feel the opposite. I love this costume so much more than the Perez version. And as much as I like George Perez's art, I generally don't like the costumes that he designs. Um, But I think this one, if I look at this costume in a vacuum without context, I think this woman is a powerful magic user. If I look at the George Perez costume, and I've never seen the character before, I don't know anything about her, I have no idea what Zatanna's powers are. Maybe she can fly, maybe she can shoot fire, maybe she can, like, talk to animals. I, like, I have no idea. That costume doesn't tell me anything about her and what she can do. This costume says, powerful sorceress to me. Like, th- this just screams black magic. So, that's one of the reasons that I love it. Um, I also just think it looks a little bit more old-fashioned. It's simpler. Like, it, it looks kind of almost golden age. But, mm-hmm. it, but certainly, kind of like... Like, classic. Like, this is a character who could have been on the league 50 issues before this, if not 100 issues before this. I, I like this costume. I mean, I, I'm not sure I'm not sure which one I like better of the this one and the Perez costume, which the Perez costume, like almost every costume uh, George Perez ever designed, always looked the best when he drew it. Yeah. Uh, and some other, some people just couldn't draw it very well. Um, but this one, you know, I mean, the and part of it's Dick Dillon. I mean, I, Dick Dillon, uh, you know, I think on the Fire and Water Network, we've, we're all very complimentary to Dick Dillon, and we kind of we sing his praises and, and try to make sure he's not an unsung hero. But I think one thing that even sometimes we gloss over is he is, I think, one of the best of the Bronze Age and Silver Age artists at drawing attractive women. I mean, you know, I'd, I'd put him up there with Dick Giordano and, and, and getting close to a John Romita, really. And he draws a very fetching Zatanna here <laughs> in this costume. I mean, when you really look at it, it's like, wow, you know, she's uh, she's uh, very pneumatic in <laughs> a lot of these a lot of these panels. And, uh, and and here's a question, guys: Is this a low slung top or is this a boob window? Because in some panels, it looks like, especially when it's a close up of around her collar of her cape. It almost looks like it's a boob window, not your average like uh, leotard, like for you know aerobicizing or something, you know, aerobically, but a leotard. Yeah, that's. So I, I could, I couldn't decide. That's certainly effect the effect because it, it kind of looks like the fabric of the of the top is coming together at the same point that the cape comes together. So, if mm-hmm. they're not attached, if the cape isn't part of. I, I, don't, I guess maybe it doesn't matter. It might actually be considered. I might have to think of that as a boob window. Yeah, so that puts her in the Power Girl category there. So it you know does, that's yeah. <laughs> that's sacred yeah. ground for a lot of comics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, as I'm as I'm flipping through, it really does look like a boob window, and especially in sort of the um, the later pages. Yeah. Uh, in yeast, uh, it definitely looks like it comes together. I mean, for me. Um, you know, as you say, there's something about it being black and red. There's something about those, like, pointy little pixie, you know, fairy slippers she has on mm-hmm. um, that really conveys this is a magician. And I agree with you, Chris. I really like the way Dick Dillon draws uh, women. And uh, I will tell you that a, you know, a top-knot 
huge ponytail is a particular weakness for me. So that may explain why uh, this costume has sort of stayed in my mind uh, for so long. But yeah, like you say, uh, Ryan, the I mean, I call that George Perez Zatanna, right? The bug uh, Zatanna, because he's got that weird red thing in the middle of her head um, that I just don't know what that represents. So I particularly like this. Now, I will say over the course of my years, the top hat one has um, has probably equaled this one. But this was my first Zatanna. This was a very important issue for me. So this is what I like. Um, I don't know if you're going to talk about how eventually we find out it really is a riff on her mother. Um, yeah, well, after this, um, and maybe I'll come to these issues at some point in the podcast, they, they kind of deviate from the, the stated of the premise of this podcast, but the next four issues of Justice League of America are pretty much a Zatanna subplot building up to this revelation of how she got this costume and who her mother was, because we've always known her dad, uh, Zatara the Magician, but who her mother is becomes, is, we, we find out more about that. So that's, I might have to cover those at some point. But, but yeah, I, I think the uh, I, I like the fishnets, the tuxedo look. It's cute. Um, it says magician. This one, this look says witch or sorceress. This one, I think, makes mm. her look a lot more powerful than the stage magician look. Um, so, if, if I was you know redoing this, I probably would have had the stage magician look part of her her day job. And like when she fights with the Justice League, she was in an outfit more like this. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, it'd be cool if they had her show up, you know, at the satellite, like in her, in her tux and fishnets, and then she like, you know, did some really cool, like, almost He-Man like panel where she changed <laughs> into this outfit, you know, uh, that that'd be that'd be a pretty, I mean, I would kind of give her a thing and almost be like Linda Carter doing her Wonder Woman twirl, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and and that way you got both visuals. Uh, it'd be it'd be neat to see. Of course, they didn't really work her stage magician act into many Justice League stories going forward either, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It could have been like hide in plain sight, secret identity. Yeah, I'm Zatanna the magician, and when I'm doing that on stage in front of an audience, I'm in this top hat. But when it gets down to bloody fists, you know that goes away, and this is my sort of battle gear. Um, a few other notes: Zatara, it seems, has recently purchased a mansion outside Gotham. Mm-hmm. I wonder <laughs> if Jerry Conway didn't didn't know about. Uh, Shadowcrest at this point, like he'll eventually return to Shadowcrest because the the story. What was it? Was it in the um, the digest? The the superheroes of Matt or the what was that digest called? Oh, the secret origins of superheroes, right? With her with her origin. Yeah, but but so in that one, um, I think Conway writes the the sort of framing the origin story, and he he has it set in Shadowcrest. But at this point, it kind of sounds like. Maybe he doesn't know the name or something like that, or I'm not sure. He kind of like forgot about it, but just as are, are you talking about the are you talking about the one that's at the back of the Zatanna's quest trade yeah, paperback yeah. too? Yeah, I think I think if I remember right, that's a flashback to when she first like starts her quest because it's so that would have been where he lived before, and it says in this that he just purchased the the estate you know near Wayne Manor basically. So maybe oh, yeah. maybe that's that's how you explain mm-hmm. it. I guess I don't know, but. I, it's kind of weird because we know Jerry Conway in a few years will write Batman and Detective. Mm-hmm. There was, I mean, he set up that Zatara just lived, you know, a couple <laughs> houses away from Bruce Wayne. <laughs> that would have been really helpful when Vicky Bale like caught on to that Bruce was Batman instead of <laughs> instead of Alfred hiring Christopher Chance. He could have just walked over a couple of doors and said, "Excuse me, Mister Zatara, could, could I uh, ask you for some help?" You know. <laughs> 
Wait a minute, Chris. Are you suggesting that somebody in the Zatara family mind wipe somebody? That can only go to a dark place. <laughs> no, I don't want nothing to do with that. <laughs> Absolutely nothing to do with that. <laughs> I would ask you to cite precedent, Ange. <laughs> no. no. Um, on the penultimate page, on 21, after they return to the satellite... Um, Hawk Girl is using the Thanagarian med kit to heal Zatanna's crossbow. She says, I wish Katar and I could have answered that emergency signal, but we were involved in a crucial experiment aboard our starship. That's code for them having sex, right? <laughs> like, like, <laughs> like, Hawkman and Hawk Girl were just like, yeah, they were having some weird zero gravity sex or something, and they just, uh, yeah, I'm not answering the JLA signal right now. And it was probably. It was probably like making up for a fight because like she came back and she was still angry that it took her 13 years longer to join the league than him. <laughs> uh, you know, going back to that Zatara uh, Batman conversation, you know, I, I think it's funny that Batman, you know, is asking him all these questions and 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 then he's like, you know, he runs off and says, you know, the Justice League takes care of its own. So basically, Batman's saying. I know your daughter is in danger, but I'm not going to fill you in, even though you have magical powers and I'm just some guy in long <laughs> underwear. You know, I mean, it's like, wouldn't you want this guy's help? I mean, he's the Tara, you know. <laughs> There's no magic Justice Leaguer other than Zatanna, who isn't even in the league yet. I mean, come on, guys. You know, the, this, this, is, this is a great story, but if you really stop and think about the way the – the, the the team as a unit isn't isn't really acting <laughs> at their best in this one really <laughs> and as and maybe this pinged on my radar a little bit more now just because now like you guys I am a father but if if Batman came to you and said hey your child is acting really really strange we're worried about her wouldn't don't you think Zatara might have said let me get my let me get my hat and I'll join you on this. Batman's like, no, no, we got to cover it. I was like, no, really, I insist. Where's my daughter? Let me help. I think he would yeah. have been saying, Batman, stop backwards and you know, freeze <laughs> him in pots. place while it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pots. yeah, yeah. There you go. <laughs> no, instead, I think he's like, let me light my pipe while wearing the smoking jacket in my plush seat. I mean, no, I think that you know, speaking as a father, I'd probably want to join in. Oh, sure, yeah, definitely. <laughs> You know, I, I have mean, to be- say, best case um, scenario, she's on the weed. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things I'll say, you know, I really like page six in this book, and I know we're really sort of picking over this, but mm-hmm. you know, this uh, the bottom half is really a um, a recap of Zatanna's quest, and this is all I knew about those stories, which is why when you started um, covering those stories here, uh, Ryan, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I'm actually going to get a backstory about that you know, panel where she's being ripped in half by the Hawks and, uh, you know, and her fighting the Warlock of East. This was really all I knew about it then. There weren't trade paperbacks or comicsology back then. So, um, so I liked the fact that they gave you a little bit of background on her. Um, but for me, as I was reading this now, you know, right above that is this panel of Ray, uh, the Adam saying, you know, I never thought I'd resent monitor duty, but now that Gene and I are married, I begrudge every moment. So as I read that, I'm like, oh, Gene is on his mind. And then I was like, oh, and 30 years later, Gene will literally be on the mind of Sue Dibney in this very room. Oh, <laughs> you keep going there, Ange. Come on. 
It's too soon. <laughs> it's like 15 years ago, but it's still too soon. <laughs> I know. You know, it's so funny because I tweeted it out. I actually tweeted out that panel and I was like, 1978, you know, Gene on Adam's mind. 2000, whatever, you know, Gene on uh, Sue Dibney's mind. And somebody actually, the first tweet I got back was, too soon. <laughs> <laughs> Well, within uh, eight issues of this issue of her of Zatanna joining, we get the uh, the issue where the Injustice Society swaps places with the the Justice Leaguers, which is sort of the the kernel, the fodder for the events of that Brad Meltzer story that shall not be named. <laughs> mm-hmm. I had those issues too. Yeah. <laughs> um. Before before wrapping up like the major points of this one, we have to look at the very last panel, the Justice League here by Alex. Which, at a dis at, at like looking at it just a casual glance, I love this shot. Uh, with the exception of the missing Martian Manhunter, it's everybody in the league up to this point. This is really all of the people who will be Satellite League members, except for Martian Manhunter and Firestorm. And it looks great. I think Zatanna definitely looks like she belongs among them. But your eye just kind of wanders off to the left of the panel. And it's like, hey, Ollie, what you doing behind Green Arrow, Green Lantern? <laughs> like, what's, uh, what's, what's going on there? Like, does it, does it not look like he's sneaking up to whisper him and, like, almost putting his arm around Hal? Like, <laughs> it, it looks like his arm should be coming in between Hal's arm and his, yes, his torso. It's, you know, like he's going to give a hug around him, you know, like... Like, and it, not that we're judging or anything. Not at but, all, know. because I like, like, okay, that was my first thing. It's like, okay, kind of looks like they're spooning standing up, but I was like, I also kind of like, I can kind of see them doing some like really juvenile boy stuff, like, and like Ali just kind of like whispering, it's like, hey, there's a new chick in the league or whatever, like, what? them just like scheming like little kids. Like, I can, I can read that body language a lot of different ways, and it's just. It's, but it's like Ollie's like bug window score, you know. <laughs> it's just like like Dick, just like Dick Dillon, just cut Hal out of that and just like move him a few inches to the left, like in front of Carter's wings. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, I think the cool thing about this is that obviously they put all of the women leaguers, you know, in the center mm-hmm. of this. So mm-hmm. maybe Ollie's saying like, "Dude, if you try to land her, I'm gonna shoot you." <laughs> you know. <laughs> Well, there's already some body language between her and and Hal. You know, he's got his arm around her when he punches the warlock. She's touching his she's touching his head. You know, his face when he, they're talking about him saying warlock of dis instead of yeast. And and uh, you know, so so I think Hal's already moving in on her. Although <laughs> later we'll find out that the the only one that has a chance with her, oddly enough, is the Flash. Right. So. right. <laughs> actually, I think when I covered her her appearance in Green Lantern that. Was it the third chapter? The second or third chapter? Uh, no, I think that Adam was... I think it was the third chapter of Zatanna's Quest was when she worked with Green Lantern. I actually noted that I kind of do like them as a couple. Like, not like a long-term, but like as a partnership. And this is one of those things where I like partners and duos where the characters don't seem to have the same power set or the same abilities. I mean, Batman and Robin notwithstanding. It's, it's different when you've got a hero and a sidekick that is generally sort of the same. But... I've always said Green Arrow and Black Canary kind of bore me when I see them working together fighting crime. I'm much more interested in, like, Starman and Black Canary. Um, And I like the idea of Zatanna and Green Lantern or Zatanna and The Flash because 
their powers are so different that they can be complementary. They can make up for the gaps that the other one might have, which is, you know, I, I always like seeing, like, Superman with a magic user like Zatanna or Dr. Fate. So, or or mm-hmm. as, as we talked about last episode, Ange, like, Supergirl and Zatanna. I think that would be an awesome, like, couple. Instead, I would be more interested in Supergirl and Zatanna than Power Girl and Huntress or Supergirl and Batgirl. But that's, yeah. Yeah, I, you know it's it's in the the team of Green Lantern and Zatanna is kind of it would kind of work the same way as when you put the Hal and Alan Scott together because you got the science based Green mm-hmm. Lantern and the magic based Green Lantern and it, it that that's kind of a neat little uh, you know a neat little distinction between the two and then you add Zatanna and you get the the little bit of flirtation thing going on and it's a it, it does make for a nice combo. I wish DC had had done more things like that and kind of made you know other other pairings that you know like you know flash and green lantern and and superman and batman that were kind of these guys go off on their own because they're buddies type thing you know mm-hmm. rob kelly posted a picture from the um the super friends treasury edition um that with the the alex toast with the story of like the the kids going through the justice league and like looking at there's like the the picture of the statues of all of the the characters who had helped out or been associated with the league, but hadn't at the time like joined or been members. Um, and it was mm-hmm. a lot of women. Um, and, it, and it included Zatanna at that time. And, but there were a few others that I kind of wished like if, if the satellite league had kept going instead of going to Detroit or something like that, if they had added more members, I really wish Supergirl would have been inducted into a full-time member of the justice league. Um, and I wish Mira would have joined too. I think those two in particular, um, and then other like I wish Black Lightning would have been a full time member or joined on and stuff like that. But um, yeah, I, I, I like this one. I'm I'm glad that they got another girl. I'm glad Zatanna was part of the league. So I, I like the story. It is crazy. It is dense. I I like your point that it is it is probably closer to the the early Silver Age in terms of just how plot heavy this is. Like I was telling you, I was trying to be very Spartan and bare bones with my with my synopsis, and it was probably the longest one I've written in a while because there's just so much going on. But it's a it's a fun story, and I'm glad that far too late, but I'm glad that Zatanna did end up becoming a member of the league. You know, it maybe maybe because you know, and Jerry Conway was was certainly uh, you know a fan uh, that that knew the history of comics and and he would pay homage to different eras of comics and things. So I would, I, this, he might even went more silver agey in this one because maybe, and, and we could probably ask him, did he feel like this was kind of a, another chapter of Zatanna's search? Because it is a sequel mm-hmm. to those, you know, to that, to request. So, and then really this should have been in that trade paperback, honestly, you know, more so maybe than even the secret origin story at the, and or at least in addition to it, this one should have been in it too. And I, I almost thought in my head that it was because when I was we're going to cover this, I'm like, okay, I got this in the the uh, DC uh, Best of DC Digest number 31, which is the you know Justice League initiation issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I've got you know I've, I know I got a floppy copy, but I just pulled the trade paperback off the shelf and and I was like. Oh, it's not in here. I, I'd kind of forgotten that it wasn't in there. So, <laughs> no, you're right. Oh, and the warlock of y- Yes is uh, is red colored in that one too, and I think he he originally was. So he's I, I think they goofed in this one. He's he's got flesh colored skin. So, Ange, was it you who pointed out? Because I can't imagine anybody else would have the the Perez costume that he designs for for Zatanna. The shirt kind of or the blouse kind of looks like the warlock of Yeses. Like it's the same no. sort of color pattern. Uh, it wasn't me, but now I'm, you know, 
pounding away at Google to sort of take a look. <laughs> I mean, yeah, maybe Martin Gray or somebody like that, but I like it's like in terms of the colors, it's sort of bluish lavender oh, type yeah. of thing with the white highlights yeah. and everything and purple or the lavender like head thing or whatever. Like it's, I don't know, somebody. Somebody mentioned that. Maybe if it wasn't one of you guys, it must have been like Martin Gray or somebody. But they said that um, that it might have been interesting for her, for that costume to be inspired by her. I mean, at the time, you've got to call this guy her arch nemesis. It's the only it's the, the guy she fought yeah. twice. And, and yeah, he, he should have a, if, if he wasn't a bigger deal for the Justice League, he certainly should have been a big deal for her. Well, see, now you can say that he was influencing her mind, and that's why she mind-wiped people. So <laughs> <laughs> and maybe, yeah. And maybe that's why she's always dissing him. She really should be yissing him. <laughs> All right. Any final thoughts on the issue before we go? Warlock of Diss sounds like a, a cool rap. Uh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a little good. off topic, Ryan, before we wrap up, I'll just say that if you're um, – you know, James Robinson did do a run of Justice League sort of before the new 52. Mm-hmm. That was Jade, Supergirl, yeah. Donna Troy, Jesse Quick. Yeah. Um, it was really all. And then, of course, like the blue skin Starman and Congorilla. Um, but uh, if you wanted to see that sort of interaction uh, between um, those sort of uh, female characters that are sort of derivatives, mm-hmm. I thought that was a great run. Um, mm-hmm. So might be worth checking out. I'm sure dollar boxes are stuffed with them. <laughs> I think I've tried it, and I just I'm not a fan of James Robinson's writing from that era. Yeah. All right. I, I couldn't get into it. I tried it. I couldn't get into it. So. All right. Well, thank you very much, both of you, for being on this episode of Power of Fishnets. I'm glad we finally, after a long time, finally got to this one that Ange has been waiting years for. Um, gentlemen. Where can people find you in the blogo or podcastosphere? Chris, what have you got going on? Well, I've got uh, Supermates with, with my wife, Cindy. I've got Batman Nightcast with you, Ryan. Rob uh, Kelly and I do Superman Movie Minute. I occasionally do a uh, those wonderful toys on FW Presents. And kind of related to this, uh, Cindy and I are launching our new JLU cast, which covers the Justice League Animated and Justice League Unlimited animated series which will be starting soon on the fire and water podcast network and Ange. well first of all i gotta say i can't wait for that show chris that's gonna be awesome <laughs> uh, uh i'm uh i do a supergirl site called comic box commentary uh that is pretty much a daily weekday uh blog and on fridays I'm over on the Legion of Super Bloggers doing reviews, uh, currently doing, unfortunately, the new 52 Legion of Superheroes. And uh, you can find me on Twitter all over the place at DrAnge70. Thank you one more time for joining me. People, we are going to take another break, but on the other side of the promo, I will address your listener feedback from previous episodes. Don't go away. Coming soon from the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Working together, we saved the planet. And I believe that if we stayed together as a team, we would be a force that could truly work for the ideals of peace and justice. Every episode. My name is Jean. I'm a Martian. Every adventure. (sighs) Okay. You guys are so slow. Every hero. Whatever you think you're doing, if you present a threat to the world, the Justice League will take you down. Cindy and Chris Franklin bring you... JLU cast. Whatever the future holds, we'll make those choices ourselves. Don't say you don't love me. 
I'll never say that. Covering the complete animated run of Justice League and Justice League Unlimited. And the adventure continues. There's strength in numbers. What? Like a bunch of super friends? More like a Justice League. On the last episode, which was episode 26, I did not do listener feedback for the previous episode, 25. But suffice it to say, it was full of glorious praise for Dr. Ange's Holla for Hot Pants segments. Specifically, the people who gave Ange a shout-out on the website comments were Clinton Robison, Rob Kelly, Professor Alan Middleton, David Ace Gutierrez, Paul Hicks, Chris Franklin, Martin Gray, and Ward Hill Terry. A few additional comments came from Martin Gray from the blog Too Dangerous for a Girl, who said, Ange's right, these were ropey stories. As I understand it, the editor was told, or decided, to give the book the vibe of DC's successful romance line. Bad move. It set Kara's character back years. I do have a strange affection for this run, though, because it was Supergirl finally having her own book. And boy, those covers were amazing. So many are burned into my memory. That date cover with the cat is, to me, utterly iconic. Ward Hill Terry asked, Was this Carrie Bates' first ongoing series? I know he was a young man, and Martin refers to the editorial aim above, but this is kind of a mess for a title. In the first story, is Linda late for the start of the term? The play has been cast and is already in rehearsal, and continues to rehearse even after a murder? Where are the police? Oh crap, we've lost an actor. Is the understudy nearby? Oh, and maybe someone should call the cops. After rehearsal. Uh, It definitely wasn't Carrie Bates' first series. It may have been the first book that he started from issue one, uh, but he had already been working for years on Superman-related books, like World's Finest, Action Comics, Superman, and he'd been writing The Flash for a couple months at least by this point. Uh, And last, Chris Franklin said... The Saucy Sorceress is just an awesome nickname for Z. Certainly better than Batgirl's Domino Dare Doll. She doesn't even wear a domino mask. What does that even mean? I don't know, Chris. I, I don't think I've ever heard that nickname before. Domino Dare Doll. Uh, moving on to the comments from the last episode that wrapped up Zatanna's final appearances, including another appearance by Dr. Ange. Rob Kelly said, Really enjoyed this string of episodes. Ange is a natural podcaster. Too bad the podcasting world lost him to something as trivial as medicine. I know, right? Uh, then Rob shared a page from the Super Friends Treasury book that I mentioned earlier on this episode. Yeah, Zatanna did have one other appearance that I completely forgot to include, because it wasn't in the list that I got from Mike's Amazing World. But yes, Zatanna does appear as a statue within the Hall of Justice in that book, and she is in her classic fishnet costume. I remembered seeing this when Rob covered the issue on the Treasury cast, I just completely forgot to add it to my notes for this podcast. I also forgot a Zatanna story. She had another appearance in the Supergirl series. Ange and I talked about her backup features in Supergirl issues 1 through 4, and then their team-up together in issue 7. Zatanna also has a backup in Supergirl number 5, but it was just a reprint of her first appearance in a Hawkman comic. I took that off my list of stories to cover because I had already talked about it way back on episode 3 of this podcast. Then I just forgot to mention that it was there. But yeah, Zatanna appeared in six out of the ten issues of that Supergirl series. Pretty cool. So, uh, Martin Gray said, In the flashback of Zatanna meeting Slimy Tony, did anyone else think it weird that the most handsome man she'd ever seen looks like her very own father, Zatara? 
Wow, I didn't notice that, but now <laughs> I can't notice anything but that. Ah, wow, wow, nice. Um, Martin goes on to say, It's so sad there's not much more of Z in her classic costume to come, though at least the Cindella look was only for superheroing. I know she justified it as a tribute to long-lost mom, but the better reason would be that now that she was a publicly and regularly working member of the JLA, she couldn't be seen using obviously real magic in her stage duds. No, that's, that's a good point and a good explanation for the distinction in costumes. Uh, and the last comment came from Brian Linton. I enjoyed the discussion of the Supergirl and Zatanna dynamic. It strikes me that there could be a real Betty and Veronica kind of vibe to that relationship. But who best to play Archie to their Betty and Veronica? Jimmy Olsen, Snapper Carr, Terry Long? There are just too many excellent candidates from which to choose. Uh, I gotta say, I like the idea that Zatanna and John Constantine have a romantic history. I don't want to see them as a couple. Don't partner them up. Don't marry them. No way. But I like the idea that they used to be together at some point. And I think it would be really interesting if Constantine really tried to punch above his weight class and hit on Supergirl. And how the entire DC Universe would react to that. Hmm. Maybe that's something for an episode of When I'm in Charge. Anyway. That is all for this episode of Power of Fishnets, which is kind of going to go on hiatus for a little while. As you could probably tell, I've been ramping up my coverage to get past this era of Zatanna because I really wanted to get that out of the way. And now, having done that, I'm going to table this show for a little while. It's not cancelled, it's not dead, in fact, I already know what the next episode will be. I'm going to do a special episode in April or May dedicated to the Marvel character Gamora, who you may know from the Guardians of the Galaxy movies. What you may not know is that her original costume, as designed by Jim Starlin, was pretty much just a green fishnet bodysuit. Sexy. So I'm going to spotlight Gamora on an episode to drop before Avengers Infinity War. After that, though... I'm not sure when I'll get back to this podcast. There's still plenty of Black Canary stories that I could cover, still plenty of Zatanna stories too, but I just don't have a fire under me for them right now, so Power Fishnets will fade into the background, which should free up time for A, Batman Nightcast to get back in gear, and B, closer to the summer I'll be starting Cheerscast, dedicated to my favorite TV show of all time, the sitcom Cheers. And who knows? There may be other projects besides that in the future. Until then, until you hear from me again, I want to thank Chris Franklin and Dr. Ainge for joining me on this episode. Thanks to all of you for listening and supporting this show. I hope you've enjoyed Zatanna's journey from fledgling neophyte magician to Justice League sorceress as much as I have. And as they say in Yeast, Put fishnets on hold and podcasts suspend. The time has come for this show to end. I was searching, searching on a one-way street. I was hoping, hoping for a chance to meet. I was waiting for the operator on the line. Power of Fishnets is a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Feedback for the show can be left at fireandwaterpodcast.com or the Power of Fishnets Facebook page. 
You can also find me on Twitter at RyanDaily01, or you can send an email to rdailypodcast at gmail.com. Power Fishnets is not affiliated with DC Comics, and the views expressed on the show belong solely to the speaker. All music, audio clips, and quoted text are used for entertainment purposes and believed covered under fair use. Since I make no money off this podcast, no copyright infringement is intended. Thanks for listening. Surgeon! Oh.